All right, greetings and salutations. We're here in a chapter chat in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We are spiraling towards the uh, final days of Jesus' time on this earth uh, before he was to be crucified and uh, the events that then follow that. Are you ready to talk about what is oftentimes a very heavy chapter in Mark? Absolutely, 100% ready to go. All right, this is a, a, a tough chapter, uh, or it can be a tough chapter, um, whether you're talking about Mark chapter 13 or whether you're talking about the parallel accounts in Matthew 24 or in Luke chapter 21, uh, which do probably go into a little bit more detail, Matthew 24 especially. Um, but we're going to try to work with this today in what I hope will be a more simplified manner. And I realize that may sound a little audacious to say that we're going to simplify this chapter, um, but I really think that's the key for us to be able to to get what Jesus is saying here in this chapter. Uh, as he has been doing some uh, very direct kind of teaching in the temple, uh, we notice that at length in chapter 12, Jesus has all these various altercations with these different sects of the Jews. And now as we come to chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus now comes out of the temple. And upon doing so, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Yeah. Uh, that was probably a very normal thing to say um, in reference to the temple uh, because the temple was an extremely marvelous and majestic structure to behold. Uh, this particular incarnation of the temple is uh, the temple that Herod had actually began remodeling and enlarging about 20 years prior to Jesus' birth. And actually at this point, it's still in the process of being you know, updated and worked on and still wasn't uh, entirely done. It is a massive structure. It is incredibly ornate. Uh, one of the things, and I actually meant to bring this up uh, last week when we were talking in chapter 12, um, about uh, just some of the, the decorations of the temple. Uh, there would have been over kind of the, the, the gateway of the temple, there, there was this just majestic arch and the detail of, of, of the arch had all of this imagery of a vine which kind of fit with, with some of the things that we had already studied about and how Jesus talked about uh, this vine wasn't bearing fruit. Um, and, and so there was lots of work that had been put into the physical adorning of the temple itself. Uh, Josephus, uh, you know, one of the great historians of that time, actually says that whenever visitors would approach the city of Jerusalem, when they saw the temple, that it looked to them like a snow-covered mountain. And that's because the temple, it was lined with gold, it was covered with gold, and anything that was not gold was this just dazzling white marble. So that gold and that white all just shone, uh, you know, even from a far away distance. And it was a beautiful thing to behold. And so for the disciples to say, you know, look, Lord, even in their sayings and stuff here about the temple and to all the people who kind of run the temple, uh, you know, look, look at how awesome it is. I mean, that's, that's God's house, right? Yeah. Uh, it was kind of the temple was sort of designed to resemble heaven, right? Like in its structure. And, sure, if it's going to be the abode of God, yeah, we want it to look very heavenly, like, or at least yeah. what we think heaven would look like. Yeah. This is where we get our cartoonish ideas of heaven, with like the you know the pearly palace and everything it, like that. In a lot of ways, yes, and and so it actually kind of makes you wonder if maybe they had uh, even uh, people in those times had kind of some of those 
yeah, maybe kind of not entirely right ideas about what heaven was, but certainly the, the sentiment is right. Yes, yeah. you know it's lavish, and lavish. It's and beautiful, something fitting of of the Lord. Um, and so even to the untrained eye, this would have been impressive. And not only that, but like the the actual stones themselves that you know made up the building and the wall and the gates and all that stuff of the temple we're talking like huge stones one person actually estimated and i got reading and i should have wrote this down but he said some of these stones would have weighed maybe as much as a hundred tons yeah that's obscene and that makes sense especially it's going to make what jesus says next so shocking yeah for him to say what he says in verse two jesus said to him do you see these great buildings yeah, they, they're, they're, they're pretty cool looking. There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus makes a very bold and audacious statement himself here when he says, as great as this is, as massive as this is, um, it's all coming down. And that would have no doubt engendered a response of, What? <gasps> What? No, yeah. no. <laughs> well, what do you no mean? Way. This giant, awesome, again, it's God's house. It's sacred to the it's people. It's sacred. Uh, it can't be destroyed. There's no way that's going to be. What are you talking about? You're, 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 you're the king. You're not going to allow that to happen. There's no way this could happen, Lord. What, what's this all about? And we know that that was their questions because the text goes on and tells verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, which we've noted before was obviously a favorite retreating place for Jesus and the disciples, uh, the Mount of Olives would have been opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew, they asked him privately, verse 4, Tell us, when will these things be? And what's going to be the sign that all these things are going to be accomplished? You know, come on, Lord, we need a little bit more detail. You can't just leave us hanging here saying all this is going to be destroyed, not, not a single stone's going to be left, uh, you know, that's not thrown down or unturned. Uh, give us a little bit more info. And It's I, almost as if you're saying, Lord, these things to engender questions in us or something like yeah. that. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I find interesting about that. How many times did we notice, like in consecutive chapters, Jesus saying stuff about how he was going to be arrested and he was going to be killed and he was going to be raised from the dead and that was greeted with like crickets. Yeah. And yet now when he says this stuff about the tomb being torn down, it's everybody, oh, tell us more about that, Lord. Yeah. We need to know more what about What is going to happen with the temple? Yeah, which again is a good indication of that the disciples still had a very physical, worldly kingdom mindset. Yeah. Uh, and if the point. disciples are there, then man, how far is everyone else from the truth? That's right. That's right. So the idea here that this is actually going to happen, Lord, this is too much for us. you got to tell us what all of this means. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, and this is kind of key for us, that verse 4 is critical. It's one of the critical verses for us to understand. That everything in Mark 13... Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the parallel passages, whether it's Matthew 24 or Luke 21, everything that Jesus is now going to say is in answering the apostles' questions about the temple. That's what we need to remember. Yeah. The stuff Jesus is going to say that follows is in reference to the questions that they have asked about the temple and about the temple being destroyed and torn down and what's going to happen there uh, in Jerusalem. That's key. I say all of that because... This is not a second coming passage. Yeah. And that's where we usually end up running into problems when we're uh, either studying this for ourselves 
or maybe when we're having discussions with other folks about this, I am 100% persuaded that this is not a second coming passage for many reasons. Now, somebody would maybe say, well, you know, there's lots of evidence in the text and in the corresponding text that would seem to lead you to believe that maybe this is a second coming passage. For example, in Matthew's account, Matthew maybe gives a little bit more details of this, uh, this whole uh, conversation. Matthew says some things about the end of the age. Yeah. And unfortunately, some of the various translations translated that as the end of the world. Uh. Not just like a particular age or period of time, but the end of the whole world. Not to mention, even here and just in this text, look in verse 26, let's just jump ahead, where Jesus says this stuff about going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Well, hey, what's that sound like? It sounds like a second coming to us. Yeah. You know, for those of us that have read the whole rest of the New Testament, and there's other things that are said later on in the New Testament about, uh, about the end of time and the second coming, that certainly seems to plumb right along with that. And gathering the elect in verse 27 as well. Yeah, so all of those things are certainly on the surface, again, for us, having the, the benefit of the whole revealed New Testament at our, you know, right here in front of us, uh, we kind of go ahead and bring our preconceived notions and we press those into Mark chapter 13 when those things would not have been present to the people that Jesus was talking to. One of the things that I think it's worth noting here is we're all here reading this thinking it's talking about the second coming, but the people to whom Jesus was talking here, the disciples, they didn't even understand that Jesus was going. Yeah. You know, let alone coming back. So, so that whole concept wouldn't have even worked at all in the context of who Jesus is talking to right here in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 13. On top of that, that reference to the end of the age that Matthew uses, uh, that is not a reference to the end of time, the end of the world. It is a reference to the end of the Jewish age, if you will. It's a reference to the end of, of, of Judaism as being you know, God's accepted yeah. system of religion. It's like not the how, second coming. How the Noahic covenant ended and yes. things of that nature. Yes, periods of time that... Uh, you know, obviously had a beginning, but then also had an end. And, and, and I'm going to give you, here's the other second key verse to help us in all of this. Verse 4 is a key verse to realize Jesus is answering questions that the disciples had about the temple. But here's the other reason that we know this is not a second coming passage. Look at verse 30. Verse 30, I think, shatters the thought that this could be talking about future, uh, you know, end of time sort of events. Verse 30, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Mm -hmm. That verse helps answer so many questions right out of the gate for us. And that's why it's worth us to kind of go ahead and look ahead at that verse before we start reading all the rest of these verses. Because here's the thing. If... If, if this stuff here that Jesus is talking about uh, is about the second coming, then that makes Jesus a liar. Because yeah. Jesus has not yet come, and yet Jesus said here in verse 30 that this generation wasn't going to pass away until all these things took place. Well, that generation did pass away. All those folks that he was talking to then, they are dead now. And if it's talking about the second coming, well, then that still hasn't even taken place yet. Hmm. So we know it can't be talking about the second coming. It has to be talking about some other event or series of events, some other uh, things that are going to be taking place. Uh, it, it's not talking about the end of the world. And I'll just throw this out as well. This is kind of, again, we're kind of looking ahead a little bit. Jesus is going to say some stuff here in the, the coming verses about 
uh, fleeing for safety, yeah. about running to the hills, running to the mountains. Let me ask you. That's not going to happen on the second coming. Exactly. If, if it's the end of the world, what good does it do you to run to the hills or run to the mountains and flee for safety? There'll be no safety there. There's yeah. no safety to be found in the hills and in the mountains when the Lord finally does return uh, at the end. Yeah, that's only going to be in Christ. That's right. So m my point here before we start looking at, at these verses that can be difficult is we don't want to get hung up on difficult passages and try to, to parse out every little bit of imagery of every little verse, of every little word of every verse, when we have, here's a couple of verses that are very clear, kind of bookended here, Yeah. that are very clear as to what's going on and what Jesus is making reference to. We want to try yeah. to build our understanding on those simple and easy to understand passages. Yeah. That helps us to explain the difficult They passages. sort of disqualify the, the notion that we might come to, like you said, with our biases coming in, thinking about the the second coming or the resurrection and things of that nature. Yeah. And again, I understand why we do that because, you know, we've got, we know how the story goes. We, we know yeah. how all this plays out. But again, let's put ourselves in those shoes of those people right then and right there. Jesus is talking to these disciples who, I mean, I think it's very generous to say they have a less than perfect understanding about his mission and what he's going to be doing just just in his death and his burial and his resurrection, let alone all the other things that are going to follow after that. Uh, he's having to speak their language in their terms, uh, things that they can relate to. Yeah. Um, well, you know, hmm. there are brethren who have this position. I don't know if this is the, the spot to ask this or not, but they have the position that this is this is about the second coming and that it's kind of already occurred or or whatnot or that we we're kind of missing something here i'm not really sure about all the nuances of that position but is that how you would answer that kind of the stuff that you said already we, we that, that, that would help us but let's let's actually just go ahead and read on and okay. let's let, let, let's put together what jesus is talking about if if we can feel confident just from those couple of bookended verses there verse four that this is all about the question of, of what's going to happen with the, the temple being destroyed. And Jesus saying in verse 30 that these events were going to happen in their lifetime. Yeah. Um, let's now work with what he actually does say kind of in the, in the middle of all of that. All right. So verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. This is going to be a recurring theme actually through this whole section about don't be deceived, guys. Don't be tricked. Don't be led astray by false ideas and false news, fake news, if we can yeah. use some of our vernacular. Uh, don't get swept away in things that are, that are not true and not correct. I'm forewarning you of what you need to know, what you need to look for, what you need to be thinking about. Pay attention to what I'm saying. You know what that says to me? Jesus cares. He knows that he's going to be gone. Yeah. And he's thinking about, you know, I if I'm... Like, I'm leaving a lot of my friends potentially soon, maybe, probably. <laughs> and if I am, then I, like, I'm already thinking, like, man, like, I'm not going to be able to have any influence in these people's lives anymore. Yeah. You know, what, what are some parting words or things that I can do to, you know, try and help them along? Put some things in place, yeah, for when yeah. you're gone. Yeah. And that is true. Jesus is uh, showing, uh, yeah, especially once we fully understand what Jesus is talking about here, uh, he has great care and concern for not just the spiritual well-being of, of these people, his followers, but 
And he also even has concern for their physical well-being. Yeah. Because that is what this is going to be in reference to. Um, yeah. So he says, I, I want you to, to pay attention to my words and be extra careful not to let anybody else lead you astray. Verse 6, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he. That is, I am the Christ. And they're going to lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and even rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. What Jesus is trying to go ahead and, and prepare them for is that there's going to be times of difficulty after I'm gone. There's going to be times of persecution. And he doesn't even mince words about the, the, the levels of those persecutions uh, there in verse 9. You're going to be beat up. Uh, you're going to be dragged in front of, uh, of leaders and dignitaries. And you're going to have to you know, be able to, to give an answer uh, in that moment. And I think the, 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 the warning Jesus wants them to understand is that in a time of persecution, it could be very easy to be led astray. Yeah. Because you're under duress. You're under duress. And when we're under, you know, high pressure situations, you know, somebody comes along and they offer, you know, kind of an easy out. Well, hell, yeah, I like what that guy's saying and I'm going to go with him. Uh, Jesus is saying, don't do that. You're going to need to bear up during these particular times. And he says, yeah, there's going to be people who are going to come along and they're going to come along professing to be, you know, in my name. They're going to say stuff. Uh, they're going to say that, hey, these earthquakes and these famines and these wars, that these are all signs that the end is near. But Jesus is going to say, actually, actually, it's not. He actually, look at that again. What he says there in verse 7 again. I think, I wish people today would take cues from Jesus here. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Why do people even today, here we are 2,000 years later, people today continue to read current events into these verses? Yeah. And then they want to act as if they are heralds of the end times. Why do people do that when they, Jesus point blank said, don't do that? They go, well, all this stuff is happening. We better sound the alarms. And then they just, in the background of the alarms going, meh, meh. Jesus is going, don't be alarmed. Yeah, do not. <laughs> I, I, I had one of my buddies uh, that we have some spiritual conversations uh, from time to time, uh, friends with him on Facebook, and he'll post religious things. And he just, he just this past week yeah. started saying stuff about, you know, all the debate in our country about, about guns. Yeah. And about, you know, people on one side say this and people on the other side say this. And he somehow weaved all of that into this kind of talk from Matthew and from Mark chapter 13 and other passages in Revelation to say, folks, the Bible's been telling us that when you hear this kind of stuff going on in the world, then you know the end is near. Yeah. And of course, I want to just do a complete you know, face, face palm. palm yeah. Because, um, I mean, where, where are you getting that from? Jesus yeah. said, don't do that. There's going to be hard times. If you're a Christian, there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be tough stuff you're going to have to deal with. Uh, and it's not necessarily indicative that this is the end of the world. It kind of feels good, though, I, to have, you know, if somebody tells you a secret, 
it's cool to know it and kind of be like, oh, I have this knowledge of this thing and nobody else knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, I think some Christians... That's, somehow, that's kind of what Christians feel like. Some quote-unquote Christians will be like, hey, I know I know all the end signs that are coming. You know, I know what's about to happen and nobody else knows and you better yeah. listen to me because I've got all this secret knowledge. You know, it's almost like a little kid like, I know a secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's it's a, it's a good feeling. To, to understand things about the Bible that other people don't, you know, sh- try to share those with them. But with stuff like this, it's almost like you're grasping yeah, for stuff. It is. It is. And we, we end up twisting, you know, we, we start putting, we read Russia into, yeah. you know, or we read Adolf Hitler or whoever, uh, Joseph Stalin, and, and people have done that throughout yeah. time into these passages. And it, how would, here's my question, Jesus is talking to those guys right there, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and he's concerned for them as you're talking about. What, what, what does telling them stuff about Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or whatever the current event is here in 2019, how is that going to help them? It's not. It doesn't help them. So, why, no. so we need to get away from that kind of talk and language and where we're trying to press our, our own you know, biases yeah. into these uh, passages from, from old. All of the maybe the thing that we do need to see here, as Jesus does talk about, he says, "Yeah, there are going to be wars, yeah, and there are going to be earthquakes and famines and all these tough things." But what Jesus is saying is, he's saying all this mayhem that is going to happen, it is not outside of God's control. God yeah. knows exactly that that's going to happen. In fact, he's going to use all of that for a very specific purpose to bring about his will, uh, not so, the least of which is the the strengthening of, of his people. So let me ask this. When it says these are but the beginning of the birth pains, what are the birth pains? What is being given birth to? Is this in reference to the church or in reference to uh, the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth? What do you think? I believe it's in reference to the church because these are things that are going to happen. These are events that are going to happen in the first century. Yeah. And so, I mean, when was the church born? The church was born in the first century. It was born, you know, within just a few decades after, uh, or, or not a few decades, it was born within uh, just, just a few weeks after Jesus would ascend back into heaven. Uh, and these events that Jesus is, is prophesying and talking about here are all happening within just a few decades of the birth of the church. Uh, so I believe that's what that's talking about. Um, I could be wrong about that, and, and actually I, I'm not really concerned whether I would be uh, fully wrong about understanding the significance of that statement, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. What I am certain of is Jesus says these things are going to happen. God has them under control, and that's why I'm giving you these four warnings so that you can know how to deal with those circumstances when they come. Yes, but that phrase just kind of caught my attention because, I mean, that is usually what happens when something, when, when you know, I mean, nowadays we can pretty much numb the mom uh, when she's giving birth, you know, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But they, they have a lot of pain and they, they give birth to this new life and everybody oohs and awes over the child, you know. So uh, thinking about the, the pain that was to come kind of, it almost makes me think about like the, will, the you know, the taking Israel through the wilderness to try yeah. and strengthen them. Yeah. Like same kind of situation, like you're, it's going to be pain. So that you're kind of refined in the yeah. fire, and then when you come out on their side, you're going to be uh, better and stronger. You could read. I, I think you could even read that verse. These are but the beginning of the birth pains, and you could just think about that on an individual level. That you know what that stuff that we're going to experience here in the beginning, it's just the start. It's not yeah. like it's not like that after these events take place that like oh okay no more persecution ever again. No, That's true I mean too. You, it's gonna, you're going to be a Christian. You're going to experience this stuff. It's just, it's the life of being a follower of Jesus. Yeah, and that's uh, in verse 9 too. 
when he talks about the persecution that's to come, makes me think about Revelation two and verse ten, how they're supposed to be faithful to death, be faithful unto death, and like for us, we say that, and we're like, you know, till you you go, you're in the nursing home, yeah, and you know, then you just quietly just, but for them, it was like you're going to be burned at the stake, yeah, yeah. unto death, like yep. that was the unto death that they were looking forward yep. to, premature death, yeah, yeah, and then Second uh, Timothy three verse twelve. We're, we're going to be persecuted. That's right. That's right. Um, verse 10 is, is another one of those verses that I think sometimes gets gets used to, to still propagate this idea that this could be talking about the second coming of Jesus. He says that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Some folks have read that passage and they come away saying, well, see, these events are not going to happen until the gospel has been preached to the whole world, to everybody in the whole world. And what they mean by that is they mean everybody of all time ever. Yeah. Um, but that's not what the all nations means there. The all nations means all the nations under the Roman Empire at that time, at that point in world history. Remember verse 30 again. What, what, what's the time frame Jesus is talking about? He's talking about that generation. All the nations in that generation uh they're going to have the gospel playing to them. And actually, when you get to Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that's what happened. By the time Paul had wrote the Colossian letter, he said that the gospel had been preached to every creature uh, unto heaven. It had been taken everywhere. In fact, it, keep reading this, this section here and tell me, tell me what this sounds like to you. Verse 10, The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand as to what you are to say, but you say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I think that's probably talking about that spiritual gift of knowledge. You read about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the different spiritual gifts that were given by the Spirit. Uh, and there's the gift of knowledge. I think that's what this is. It's talking about supernatural knowledge. That is, you're going to know in the moment what to say. And you're going to be able to say that without any you know, previous study or preparation time. Uh, the Spirit's going to give you the words that you need in that moment. So Jesus yeah. is saying, don't, don't, don't worry about that. I'm going to be there to help you. And actually, just as a side note, I have said, for me personally, if I could have had any of those yes. spiritual gifts, that's the one I would want. Well, the debate for me would be between knowledge and discernment. Yeah. The ability to just, like, I, when I think about discernment, I think about what we've seen Jesus do over and over again, which is, boom, he could just tell if they were honest or not. Assess the situation. Right yeah. out of the gate. I mean, the knowledge would be cool, but discernment i think too discernment would play it into these situations in verse 11 where you know they're going to know what to say yeah because they're going to know who they're dealing with this if there's an honest person or if there's someone that's looking to you know catch them yeah and like a gotcha like jesus had they're going to be able to answer like jesus because they're going to know where they're coming from and they're going to know what they need to say based on where they're coming from right right you know so that's why i would almost rather have discernment and then just do my bible study that way I could just, I could door knock, I could see the person on their side, just instantly be like, yeah, this is yeah. going to be a waste of time. And just, you know. Well, it's going to be tough, Jesus says. Verse 12, he continues on. He says, brother's going to deliver brother over to death. You're going yeah. to have people in their own families are going to betray one another. They're going to do, that's, again, that's what you, you do stupid things under duress. Uh, a father will do that to his child. Children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Stop and think about that now. Verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Hmm? That sounds like the book of Acts. Yes. 
Verse 10, you're going to take the gospel to all nations, to everywhere. You're going to, while you're doing that, you're going to uh, be guided and led along by the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you to know what to say and what to do in these circumstances. And yes, along the way, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be brought before you know, magistrates and governors yeah. and kings and councils, and you're going to have to give an answer. That's exactly what happens all throughout the book of Acts. Yeah, and, and Peter so, and John and Stephen being stoned and the apostle Paul in prison and all those things that yeah, we read about happening. Yeah. And, again, and so all those things are things that happen in that generation. Yes. Uh, those are events that happen then and there. And so Jesus says, in this time of, of persecution and difficulty... Don't be swayed again by some of the false reports that you may hear, some of the false claims that people will make. We'll see some of those claims uh, again here in verse 21. But instead, verse 13, bear up, soldier on. You remain faithful. That's the most important thing. You remain faithful even as you start to see difficulties and times of, uh, of trouble happening all around you. But when, verse 14, here we go. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, here's where I want to interject what I think is another key principle in understanding what's going on in this chapter. And I'm going to illustrate this principle this way. we got Star Wars Episode Nine coming out later this year, right? Sadly. Yes. All right. <laughs> I'm going to suggest to you that you really cannot understand and fully appreciate Star Wars Episode Nine if you have not seen Star Wars Episodes One through Eight first. I can't disagree. All right. It's a true statement. Although I would use the word appreciate lightly. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you could watch Episode Nine as a standalone. I'm sure you probably could enjoy it. I mean, no. There'll be. Yeah, I'm there'll just be, There'll be lightsabers and yeah. you know all that kind It'll of stuff going on. It would be. It would be fun. You'd have a good time watching it, but you wouldn't get all the all the all the the nuances. You wouldn't get all the inside references. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't understand all the terminology. You wouldn't know all of the backstory. You wouldn't have a real deep uh, investment in the plot and the characters, just kind of already going into that thing. You, you need to be familiar with those prequels in order to be able to connect together all the things when you go to see episode 9. That's, yeah, that's definitely. a pretty, pretty simple illustration of that. I, I'm going to suggest to you that if you have not read the prequels to Mark 13, yeah, and those prequels would be the book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, uh, if you don't read and understand some of the things that are talked about there before you come here, then you're going to have all kinds of misunderstandings. You're yeah. going to be left in the dark in a lot of ways. Because number one, you're not going to have the vocabulary that you need. You're not going to really have the basis for the, the, the images and the metaphors that Jesus is utilizing that I will remind you once again, He is using as He speaks to a group of guys who would have been thoroughly familiar with Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all of those Old Testament scriptures. So when Jesus is talking to Peter, Andrew, James, and John on this occasion, he knows ex they know exactly what he's talking about when he uses certain language. So for example, look at verse 14 again. When he says the abomination of desolation, ah, the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be standing, they would know that's a reference to the book of Daniel. That's a reference where that, that idea of the abomination of desolation is being talked about there. Well, what is that talking about? 
Well, what that's talking about is that's a reference to the time in between the Testaments when the king of Syria came in, marched into the temple of God, and lo and behold, he profaned it. He, pro- he was standing where he shouldn't. He went into the Holy of Holies. What's a Gentile doing in the Holy of Holies? He's standing where he ought not to. It's a reference to him doing that. Not only did he do that, but he went into the temple and on the altar he offered, of all things, a pig. Oh. The most unclean of all of the animals. He offered that on the altar. Uh, And then on top of all of that, he set up a pagan idol in God's temple. And so they're hearing all of that saying, yeah, yeah, I remember that particular account. And I remember that 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 man did that uh, once upon a time. What's the scripture of that? Do you know? I don't know. I didn't decide to do a Google search for abomination of desolation. Yeah, sorry. Um, But what Jesus says here now is he says, when you see people starting to do stuff like that, when you start seeing, you know, maybe Gentile people coming into the temple and they're profaning it in that way, and they're bringing in things that they shouldn't, and you got people in there that are standing in places that they ought not to stand, Jesus says, that's your clue to get out of Dodge. That's your hint, that's your sign, if you will, that you need to get out of here. Now, you start putting all those pieces together, you start talking the language of the Old Testament, this starts to make some sense. Instead of immediately just abomination of desolation, oh, okay, well, let's just plug in what That's I think that means. Yeah. It's a demon. Yeah. It's a demon. It's the Antichrist. Yeah. It's we, we, we start grasping for whatever sounds awful and terrible, and we're going to plug that in to that's what that means. That's not what that means. Jesus says when you start seeing this kind of activity happening, people desecrating the temple and treating it in an unholy way, that's your clue that you need to get out of Jerusalem. You need to start fleeing for the mountains. Look at verse 15 now. He says, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his clothes, to take his cloak. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. He's saying, but I mean... Have mercy on those folks. They're going to have a really difficult time. Yeah. Pray that this may not happen in winter, you know, at a time of the year when things would be exponentially difficult to, to travel and to, 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 to flee in a hurry. Um, Jesus says your number one priority in that moment is to get out of this place. This is almost like the Exodus. Uh, yeah. Because they were like, eat, eat your stuff really fast and just go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Luke's account... Uh, actually adds some additional language uh, instead of the abomination of desolation. Luke's account just says, when you see the armies coming, mm-hmm. get out of the city. It's, it's, it's go time when you see the armies coming. And of course, uh, this is where, this is where uh, you know, secular history helps us here because you have writers like uh, Eusebius who records that in AD 67 or AD 70, depending on which particular calendar you prefer to use, that whenever the Roman armies began to start making their march toward Jerusalem, and they began to start assembling around the walls of Jerusalem, the Christians, the people who fully believed what Jesus was saying here in Mark 13, do you know what they did? They left. They left. They got out of Dodge. They did exactly what Jesus said. They took Him at His word. They fled across the Jordan. And then for all the rest of the folks who didn't, folks who were still clinging to their Judaism, or the folks who just, for whatever reason, just did not believe the words of Jesus, they were massacred, 
and they were slaughtered by Roman armies. In fact, mm-hmm. about a million people, about a million Jews, uh, lost their lives. And uh, so Jesus was protecting his sheep here. He is, and ensuring that they be able to multiply later on. That's right. That's right. And really, this is what Jesus is saying here about because if you know, they all stuck around, they would be snuffed out right here. That's right. And really, what Jesus is even saying about get out of here. You know, when you see armies come, get out of town, get away from the city. That really was the opposite of what you would do in a time like that. Normally in those times, if you see armies coming, what do you do? Well, you get into the city and you hide behind the city walls. Just surrender. Yeah, well, you you hide behind the safety of the city walls so that you can be protected from them. But Jesus says, nope, I don't want you hiding behind the city walls. I want you to completely abandon the city altogether, go far off. And like I said, they do. They flee across the Jordan and... Retreat to safety. That just goes to show the foreknowledge of Jesus here that he knew that they were going to be taken. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Um, for in those days, uh, I mean, what, what kind of things are going to happen? Verse 19, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, here's this repeating of the, uh, you know, be, be on your guard. If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets are going to arise, and they're going to perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, and if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. So Jesus describes there's going to be this time of, really, of horror and death like never seen before. And I don't think Jesus is necessarily wanting us to compare this to, you know, uh, events where God controlled, you know, like the, the when he destroyed the world by flood. I, I think what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about here is man-made terror and destruction. Yeah. That, that there's never been anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's going to be awful. Um, and he says, I don't understand how people could say that this was a passage about the second coming because... He just says right here in verse 21, if anybody says, look, there's the Christ, don't believe them. <laughs> right, right. So if somebody's saying, there he is, exactly. Jesus is saying, no, no. Exactly. So, that, no, that's, so that's a good key to hold on to as we think here about this idea of people thinking that this is talking about the second coming, uh, whether whether they mean second coming as in, you know, uh, that's still yet to happen for us, or even if they're meaning that in the sense of a second coming that already happened in the first century, yeah, and that is that that uh, widely held thought of the the quote unquote AD seventy uh, doctrine. Jesus says, "Nope, don't don't be looking for some kind of physical manifestation uh, of, of of the actual Christ, uh, because that's not going to actually be a part of all of this. Um, don't be tricked. Don't be tricked by these folks, because the truth is, if you get tricked by these folks, the danger is you're going to stay there in the city." Yeah, and you're gonna get swept up in this, and you're gonna die. You're gonna lose your life. We want to hang out with Jesus. He's here in the city. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. No, he's not, guys. <laughs> um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So verse 24 he continues on. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers uh, that are in the heaven will be shaken. Everybody always gets really fascinated with th- this kind of terminology and language. About it's just trippy. Yeah, dark it's suns and black moons and falling stars. Once again, if we've seen the prequels, if we've read the prequels, yeah, then we already recognize this is Isaiah language. This is Ezekiel language. And it's just the kind of language that they use to describe a time of terrible destruction and tribulation. 
And at that time, verse 26, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Somebody says, ah, there you go. That's talking about Jesus returning. Okay. It's talking about a second coming. And Josh, I thought you said this wasn't a second coming passage. But once again, if we've read the prequels, then we know that this is not talking about a literal return of the Son of Man, not a literal return of the Lord. What this is talking about is it is talking about a coming in judgment, a coming of judgment. Ah. I'll give you just a good example of that. Isaiah 19, this is a great one. It's probably worth kind of making a footnote in, in your Bibles to just kind of use this as an illustration. Isaiah 19, here was uh, an oracle concerning Egypt and God's uh, judgment that was going to be poured out on Egypt in, in those times. Isaiah 19 verse 1, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and he comes to Egypt. And the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Question. Is that talking about the Lord literally riding on a cloud and literally coming to Egypt and his literal presence being there, causing them to fall down and quake and shake and then be destroyed? Nah. No. It's talking about, that's, that's kind of some, some you know, it's, it's extreme language. It's arresting language because it grabs our attention. But it's talking about the Lord coming in judgment. That's what that's talking about. And that form of judgment could be, could be any number of things. We know here in Mark chapter 13, the form of his judgment is going to be the Roman armies. That's who his judgment is going to be coming in the form of. And so Jesus says to these people as you turn back to Mark chapter 13, when you see these armies, you're going to know that that is the Lord judging this city. It's the Lord judging this temple. It's the Lord judging the people who crucified me and did not repent of that and, and follow my will. Um, this is my judgment coming upon you. And it would be as if the Lord himself was present and administering that. You're going to know that it's the Lord. Yeah, well, this should be really faith-building for us then if that's the case because, man, I mean, this is a prophecy that came to pass very clearly in history. Yeah. I mean, the destruction of the temple, that no one's going to dispute that that happened. And yeah. Jesus called it. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty insane. And without and what's what's crazy is he's, he's obviously using a lot of extreme language, like you said, and really emphasizing, do not be deceived. Pay attention to this. This is really important. And he's trying to grab their attention with urgency because to me it seems like that if they don't understand this, then it's going to throw a wrench in the whole plan yeah. for the salvation of man. That's right. I mean, if well, what if, what if all of God's, you know, of all of Jesus' disciples... You know, didn't pay attention to this stuff, and they're all destroyed there. You know, in in eighty sixty seven or eighty seventy, whichever year you go with. Um, what, what happens to Christianity? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, where where are we? Uh, yeah, how did he know he's God? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and and it goes back to that original point. I was glad that you said that at the beginning. It, it shows his care and his concern for his people. The care and concern he has for the gospel, for his cause. I mean, Jesus didn't come to earth and suffer and die and go through all that he went through uh, for all of this to come to a grinding halt within you know 30 or 40 years. And then thinking about later on in the book of Acts how it just exploded yeah, is just like, what a chess player Jesus is. I mean, yeah. just let's move out of the harm's way yeah. for here, and then boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Make some quick moves, and 
Uh, checkmate, Satan. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty verse, awesome. Verse 27, he kind of concludes that, that little thought there. He says, then, uh, then he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of, of heaven. I think that's just a reference to, to his, his, his disciples are going to then, after all these events happen, going to be able to continue on with the work that they had been uh, entrusted to do. Um, verses 28 and, and 29, um, he, he uses another kind of object lesson. I, I, he's still making the same point. Verse 28. From the fig tree, I want you to learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, then you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you're going to know that He's near at the very gates. I'll say one more time, this can't be a second coming passage because Jesus is once again pressing them to say, hey, when you see these various signs and these various events take place, then you're going to know that this is fixing to happen. And that can't plumb with what the second coming is about because how many other times does Jesus talk about his second coming being something that's going to be like a thief in the night? Yeah. Something that you cannot prepare for. Something that there will be no prior you know, signs or clues given to you uh, about. Um, this is talking about an event that, yeah, there would be some things that would happen and you'll know that it's drawing near. That's how the, the that's what the fig fig tree does. Hey, you you see the the fruit. You know it's it's this particular time of the year. When you see the leaves, you know it's this particular time of the year. Jesus says in the same way, pay attention, be watchful for those signs, and you're going to know when this terrible cataclysmic event's going to happen. Verse thirty. Here's our key passage. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And that just uh, punctuates what you had said a minute ago about um, you know, how Jesus know? Well, because He's God. And so if God says something, you better believe it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't just fall idle and you know, doesn't come to fruition. Um, th- th- that last note uh, in this chapter here, verse 32 through 37, um, is just going to be... Stay awake. Be on guard. Be prepared. Be ready for these things. Let's read this section, verse 32. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I will confess to you, I have used that verse there to talk about the second coming of the Lord. And maybe that is true. Yeah. That when it concerns the second coming of the Lord, that maybe there is nobody else that knows except the Father. That's possible. But if we want to keep everything in its context, to what event is Jesus talking about here? He's this talking is, about... Yeah, this is going to be the destruction of the temple. Yes, he's talking about, again, that day. That day that I've just spent the last you know 20 verses or so talking about. So he says, be on guard, keep awake. For you don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore you stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And so what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And the charge is, just you just need to be watchful. I've tried to forewarn you and tell you some things so that you can be prepared for that moment. This temple, I, I, Jesus pronounced his judgment on the temple already in those previous couple of chapters. And we've noticed that in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, but now he's kind of spelling it out in more detail. This is what's going to happen, and this is how you guys can be prepared for that when it does happen. Now, 
I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, offer anything else. This is this is kind of the takeaway uh, point for us. Mm-hmm. Eschatology is uh, it's the study of end times. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people who uh, are very fascinated with eschatology. I mean, there's lots of things that, that interest me about the end times. I've preached on things concerning, you know, the second coming of the Lord, and the Bible does, you know, talk about that. Uh, and it is an important subject. There are those, though, who are, I will, I will call, eschatological enthusiasts who jump to chapters like this and run wild. Yeah. And what those people need to do, as I hope we've kind of clearly illustrated, they need to back off of this chapter because this chapter ain't for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that is, this is not talking about the end times, and we've said that repeatedly. It's not talking about the second coming uh, of, of, of Jesus as being the end of the world. And, and we want to state that fully for the record one more yeah. time. But we are in the last days, right? Well, here's what I was going to say. Just because eschatological enthusiasts need to stay away from this chapter does not mean that we need to be eschatologically nonchalant yeah. in any way. Because what this chapter is for me, and I'm trying to think, all right, what's some applications for me? This chapter, in many ways, is a model. It's a preview. It's kind of a mini version on a, on a miniature scale yeah. of what is going to happen when the Lord does return. You know, here's talking about a judgment that was going to happen for a certain people at a certain time in a certain place. Yeah. Right? But that is, in a small way, what's going to happen on a much bigger and grander scale when the Lord Jesus does return and when He does come back. That there is going to be judgment that's going to be poured out. And it's not going to be just on, you know, sinners in one isolated area. No, it's going to be on everybody. All sinners everywhere, of all time, all across the entire world. And when that comes, when that time comes, when that moment comes, the people who have been prepared and have been watchful and have been ready, they're going to be clearly separated from the folks over here who weren't paying attention, who weren't getting prepared, who weren't getting ready. Yeah. And so if nothing else, this chapter just kind of sounds forth a... Uh, a warning to those of us who are looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back uh, in all of His glory. And the message that He gave to those disciples then, it really is the same message to us today. And that is, stay awake. Yeah, and that's, how, that's how God has always taught His people. Like, for example, with the, uh, the animal sacrifices that eventually led them to Jesus and understanding what He was doing on the cross. Yeah. Um, smaller, less uh, weighty things that eventually lead you to the final conclusion that you're meant to get to. Prepare you for the bigger things. Yeah, and so something like this happening, we can look back in history and we can say, oh yeah, the Lord did pronounce judgment on those people, and that He did follow through with His Word. And the words of Jesus were true about that, and He did that, like we said, that was out of concern and care for His people and love. So, yeah, I I never really thought about that before, but yeah, it is is kind of a snow globe. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a, the, the, the principle there of preparation and readiness, uh, that is a constant um, throughout w- w- whatever generation you may be yeah. talking about or whatever event we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, and that's something for us to, to take away from this. Like I said, I, 
I can get defensive talking about this chapter about here's all the things that it doesn't mean for us. Yeah. But I don't want to be guilty of not taking away that that important key principle that is still relevant to us. Yeah. That is to just be be ready. And the, yeah, and this admonition is vitally important for us to understand because there are Christians. I'm confident, and I've been in this position too, where we are falling asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Christians and. Uh, if we're not careful, you know, we can get uh, blindsided, and I think that's really dangerous. So I think passage, this passage is included here for us, uh, like you said, so that we can see uh, the faithfulness of God. Yeah, and, and trust in that, and for and us be to be ready. Wait for it. That's right, and us be ready, and then and then also if we care about other people, family members, loved ones, friends, be helping them to get ready. Yeah, you know how how much does a passage like this provoke us to? Uh, to help them, I mean, you have to believe that those Christians in first century times that were, you know, looking for, for that judgment to befall them, befall the city of Jerusalem, yeah, they were concerned about their own hide, but you know, they had family members and loved ones and friends that they would have all along the way tried to convince and compel them to come to the same convictions that they had come to, uh, yeah. to get them ready for that moment. And you know, the, the sad reality is, is there probably were lots of people that they had to witness be destroyed yeah. because they didn't take seriously those those warnings. Oh, like the hymn you never mentioned him to me. Yeah. 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 Can you imagine being one of being one of the more uh I guess uh fearful of evangelistic people back then and you see your family members you can just hear them screaming from the city walls as you're fleeing. Yeah. You know, I mean that's the experience that we're promised if we're not to, you know, if if we're not going to uh share the gospel with our friends is that they're 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 done. I mean, they're they're not going to have any hope. We're we're the, the another hymn too is we're the only Bible they're going to yeah, read. The world's Bible. Yeah. yeah, some people. So, well, um, that's kind of a it's a sobering note to end on. But this is a it would have been a sobering uh, chapter for for people in first century times. It would have been a sobering this would have been a sobering conversation. For Peter, Andrew, James, and John to have to sit, and it wasn't even really much of a conversation. It was just Jesus is just going to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I I wonder, you know, kind of were they trembling, you know, getting chills down their spine yeah. uh, by the conclusion of this conversation? Um, also, what did they do? They changed the subject next, and yeah, but how about those stones, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's pretty over there. Hey, Jesus, let's talk about something else now. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> You know? Well, uh, it, like I said, it ends on a, a sobering note, but it's a necessary uh, sobering note. And Stay it's, awake. Yeah, and we're in a sobering section here as we spiral towards these last three chapters. Because actually, just look at chapter 14, verse 1. Yeah. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This means chapter 14, this is Tuesday of this week. And we are getting very, very close to the climactic events um, of Jesus's time here on this earth, and so that'll be our cliffhanger for next week. Any other thoughts on chapter thirteen before we wrap it up? Stay awake, and I love you guys. All right, we'll end on that. We'll look forward to chapter fourteen next time.